0: Girls5eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for outstanding comedy series and all other eligible categories. Hi everyone and thank you for tuning in to episode 107 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host Scott Feinberg and my guest today is one of the fastest rising young actors out there, Adam Driver. The 33-year-old first came to prominence in 2012, playing the complex and controversial character Adam Sackler on Lena Dunham's dark comedy series Girls, the sixth and final season of which was recently completed and will air in the spring on HBO. Starting a year before that, though, and during breaks from the show, Driver has played parts of varying size in films for many of the best directors in the world. From Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar, to Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, to the Coen brothers' Inside Llewyn Davis, to Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha and While We're Young, to Martin Scorsese's forthcoming Silence. He's now best known for playing Kylo Ren, the grandson of Darth Vader, in J.J. Abrams' 2015 blockbuster Star Wars The Force Awakens, a role he'll reprise in future installments of the franchise. But he recently earned the best reviews of his career for his performance in a movie a fraction of their size, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson which premiered at Sundance back in January. In that quiet and understated film, which chronicles a seven-day period, he plays a small-town bus driver who also writes beautiful poetry. Over the course of our conversation, Driver and I discuss a wide range of topics. Among them, his pre-stardom service in the U.S. Marines, his subsequent training at Juilliard, the casting sessions that landed him his part on Girls and in Star Wars, his attraction to a character who listens far more than he talks in Patterson, and his own plans for the future. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Adam, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks for having me. We always begin with just a stock question: Where were you born and raised, and what did or do your folks do for a living? I was born in
1: Fontana, California, mm-hmm. and immediately moved to San Diego. lived there till I was seven, but was raised in a small town in Indiana called Mishawaka, which yes. is in the New- kind of the southern border of Michigan, northern border of Indiana, next to South Bend and Notre Dame. My mom is a paralegal for a private practice, of family law, this guy named Fred Fred Haynes. And my father works at an office max in Arkansas. Nice. That's what...
0: So I have tried to read up on you a little bit before this, obviously. And one thing I was surprised to learn was that and maybe it's not true, but I'm going to ask you, was the first time that you acted really not, you'd not acted prior to high school at all? I did. Like, I did, like, little things in, like, church plays when I was four, you know, okay. and five, yeah. you know, but
1: but not really, I, I didn't act really until, I, I auditioned for a play in elementary school, yeah. and, like, I, they cast me as the curtain boy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just opened the curtains for my fellow classmates, but they wanted, they knew to kind of keep me behind the right.
0: A curtain as much as possible so no one would see me <laughs> and then what happened in in high school it just started out with a again a very small thing right yeah I,
1: it was oklahoma at the very end of the year they have like the big musical that everyone like you know tries out for and and again i was entrusted with a very small role my line was check his heart it's was, it was right after curly gets shot i say check his heart and that and then then the drama teacher left and then a new drama teacher came and I auditioned for Arsenic and Old Lace the next year my sophomore year and I got cast as Mortimer Brewster
0: which was a big deal so I was very excited about and that. And you were starting to now develop more of a passion for doing this?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I remember like trying to t- take it seriously or like feel I feel like I was kind of good at it and yeah. I'm like oh, I'll just stick with things that I'm good at cuz so I wasn't really good at anything else. Really? Yeah.
0: yeah. Not a sports guy. Not a. No, I tried sports.
1: I was never really good at it. Yeah. I like made the B team, you know. And, and if they were really desperate, they put me on the A team. But the B team because I knew it didn't count. Yeah. <laughs> I was really good in the B. Like I was very yeah. bold and like passed a lot and shot a lot. But in the <laughs> A team because I knew it counted, I got in my head and right. get really nervous and run out of bounds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now you're you're coming out of high school, having done several high school productions of. of various shows, and your outlook at that point, I believe, or or I believe that I read you auditioned for Juilliard. Uh But if you can connect the dots from that point until about a year later, when instead of being at Juilliard, you were now, I believe, in the US military, what went on during that period that led from one place into such a very different place
1: yeah so i was interested in acting but i didn't get good grades so my parents you know grounded me from theater a lot or I could i couldn't couldn't do it and and school i just hated i didn't like it i was didn't have the focus i'd skip class a lot and i knew i was still interested in acting and i knew juilliard the emphasis really wasn't on grades it was about your ability so i'm like okay i'll try there so that because I didn't get good grades. And that was the only school that I auditioned for really? it was Juilliard. I just knew it was really good. So I'm like, oh, sure, I'll just go there. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't get in. And and I was like, okay, that's it. That's I'm not going to apply for college. And then later I was like, maybe I'll go to a community college locally. And I was working as like a groundskeeper at 4-H Fairgrounds, you know, uh, like painting and mowing the big lawn that they have. It was a telemarketer for like three different telemarketing companies. One was like Ben Franklin Construction, where we try to like, you know, uh, sell this guy's construction company. You, remember, he was like a big fan. <laughs> this is a random detail. The That's guy that funny. ran the company wasn't named Ben Franklin, but um, <laughs> he really loved the movie. Oh, God. What's that, uh, that David Mamet play that they... Gary, glen ross and he would talk about you know always be close yeah yeah (laughs) 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 to us all the time like it was the bible and then and then at a basement waterproofing company was the other one i telemarketed for where you called people and tried to convince them that their basement was leaking and that we (laughs) and then and then september 11th happened and i felt like i wasn't doing anything and you know, graduate from high school, had no future really planned. And, you know, also that combined with filled the sense of patriotism and of the age to feel like I wanted to do something. So oh. so then I, you know, I signed up for the Marine Corps and was gone by the, the next January or
0: February. Wow. And in that intervening period, though, is it, is it correct that you had actually come out to Los Angeles just to explore that possibility? Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this November,
1: I think the month
0: before uh September
1: no, uh not a month before September eleventh because obviously I, I can't remember the time. Maybe sure. it was right after September eleventh, right before actually the timeline is wrong. Yeah. I came out I, I moved out to LA yeah to begin my acting career. Like I would try to and I, I didn't have a lot of money and I had a big like um nineteen ninety Lincoln Town car. So I filled everything up and my parents I was living in the back pain. This is, I'm rambling now. No, it's good. It's they, good. I, they had a um, they, they wouldn't let me go to the front of the house when I turned to, when I graduated. I had to go to the back of the house and and I lived in the back room and I had to pay rent, you know, so they so tried to try make to it urge you to get out of right, there. Right, like it was my apartment. <laughs> right. So I, I packed all my shit and put it in the back of this Lincoln Town car. So it's just just barely hovering <laughs> above the, the the earth, you know. It's filled with this mini fridge and every right, every one right, um, right. all my possessions and I drove uh, and I made it to Amarillo, Texas, or, or, or just outside, and it broke down. And I spent all my money fixing this <laughs> shitty, car. shitty car. So by the time I got to Santa Monica, not even right. LA, I'd had no money. And there was some loose family connection of like a, a professor at UCLA. I, I can't remember. Right. And I met him, but I was basically here for 48 hours, and I had no, I had no money, and I wasn't going to
0: call home for money. Right. So I just turned around and drove back. And that was the end of my. And when you got back, I was when the that. idea was put forward that maybe a, a military option would be a better path.
1: Yeah, I had got a brochure in the in the mail, and my stepdad was. We were having an argument about well, what was I doing with my life and my future, and he's like, "Why don't you join the Marine Corps?" I'm like, "Fuck no, I'm not going to join the Marine Corps." Then he left.
0: And I'm like, "Well, maybe I will. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it." But then, and then, yeah, so I left. So you're 18 when you when you started there and, and started in the Marine Corps and. How formative was that period in your life? Did you adjust well to the sort of sounds like a lot more discipline than you'd maybe had in your life up to that point? Did you like it?
1: Yeah, I did, which is kind of strange now because I hate authority or yeah. I hate people telling me what to do, and that's what the Marine Corps is filled with that. I do remember liking it right away. I mean, you're—I never had because I wasn't in sports. I didn't have that guy test where you were a bunch of dudes, you know, and that—that that, I didn't never had that camaraderie. So that was kind of interesting to me to. And I guess why I joined initially, this kind of went away, and then I started forming these friendships with these people, and then it kind of turned to, into being about that, yeah. you know? And I was also, a, I, there's something that maybe because of, you're aware of your mortality, maybe younger at age than typical, maybe an 18 or 19-year-old mm-hmm. isn't, you're just aware of like time management and what mm-hmm. you can do in a day, and that was a big, I, I grew
0: up a lot in that yeah. in, in that time. I I read about one particular incident where something kind of went wrong with when you were out with a group, and that sort of clarified that after this, you're going back to acting. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, they, we were doing training in, I think, Pendleton or 29 Pomps, I can't remember. And our, our artillery was firing white phosphorus over our heads, and we were mortarmen. So artillery is like a a mile away from us, and someone, the forward observer, the FO, gave them the wrong coordinates, and they fired on us. So we're shooting, and then we look up, and there's a big explosion of white phosphorus, and and so we all started running. Which is pretty deadly stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll burn, you know, it's it's supposed to, acid will burn right through you. And then, then then I'm like, oh, there's the things I want to do in my life before I, I die. And, and the two that came to my head first were smoking. I didn't smoke, you know, <laughs> but that seemed like a good idea. And, and
0: it, you know, when I get become a civilian again, I wanted to be an actor. Right. Yeah. And that opportunity to get into acting again came about because of a sort of pretty awful injury that you suffered while you were there
1: yeah yeah it well, I was i um, in a mountain biking accident and uh, handlebars went to my chest and broke my sternum Jeez. so so then they were like you're not gonna deploy and that was a big blow and then I tried to keep training on it you know and loading up on hydrocodone so I could go overseas and it just wound
0: up it never was was really healing and so like you know I'd be medically separated and I heard that you know for, for you you it was kind of a depressing thing because you, this was your group of guys, right? That was how you felt about being separated from or not being able to join them.
1: Yeah, I was similarly, you know, you, you join for like I was saying, all these political reasons, mm-hmm. maybe, and that coupled with you know not doing anything, right? You can really cl- are proud of yeah. uh, to begin with, but then it turns into being there with the guys that you've been with for the past two years, you know, where you're. It's kind of rare where in the civilian world you're put in like these very heightened. Life and death, sometimes circumstances with a group of people, and then they kind of rise to the occasion. You're not really you don't really have a lot of those relationships in the civilian world. I mean, maybe that's generalizing, but for me I didn't at yeah. that at that time. So you you are very close with people in a way that you don't have in, in in the civilian world and not being there with them to do that job and someone else taking my place to uh-huh. do that job and having that experience.
0: With those guys it was a big blow oh yeah so now you come out though you've got I guess with the GI bill you're able to do University of Indianapolis for a year and then mm. you know, know Julia Ju- <laughs> I'm trying I' tried <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> now you but then then it's another shot of
1: Juilliard right right yeah yeah I couldn't well, I got out in like June or something and the audition process for Juilliard uh, was already over it was so I went to University of Indianapolis yep. for a year and, and did plays yeah <laughs> and waited to audition for Juilliard again and that that time got in. Could you tell that it went better this time? What did you do differently? I think I just had more life experience that I brought to the monologues. I still wasn't as prepared. I like I didn't know much really about theater or you know Shakespeare and even at that time, I did the opening monologue from Richard the Third, but I didn't really know Richard the third and I don't think I'd finished the play but i I think my life experience just uh, at seventeen or eighteen when I first auditioned, you're so eager to please and just be liked that I really had no point of view about anything that I was saying. And the second time I I, I did. And I yeah. think maybe that came through in yeah. my
0: audition, maybe. We just had Jessica Chastain in here last week to do an episode and she was also a she's also a Juilliard alum and she said that her time there and in New York was so influential and in everything that's followed that it was just very formative. She especially as someone not coming from a big city and and then experiencing all of that. And I just wonder if you had a similar experience there or if it, you know what you feel you took away from from your time getting the BFA.
1: Yeah, similar to similar to that and I did not come from a big city, very small town and it was not, you know, it's not full of culture and suddenly you're in Lincoln Center which, you know, the the opera, the city ballet, it's all it's all Right there. So that was a huge education. I didn't know, but, you know, I didn't have an encyclopedic knowledge of playwrights or, you know, the plays that I'm supposed to know. And so I was very new to all of it. And, and... And also uh, the Marine Corps is great acting training because you're, you know, uh, with a group of guys that are your age, they're kind of living under very heightened circumstances. And that makes kind of people behave in strange ways when they're trying to cope and don't have the words for it or can't figure out how to process it. So at Juilliard, I learned, I think, a way to learn, mm-hmm. which, was a, which I had no kind of set process yeah. before yeah. where you you're also like to you know spending a lot of time working on yourself for four years which mm-hmm. at, at the time was actually kind of agonizing yeah. I did not have a good time for most of it it's only in retrospect that I'm like oh that was really valuable right. where you're focusing on your voice and your movement and you know where your feet are and all that shit but what it does do is if you want to have a long career where you have to maintain things that it gives you all the actor cliche thing of the the tools right. in your toolbox right. and that so it w- it was good not knowing anything. And also because I had a little bit more life experience, I wasn't like swallowing everything they, they told me completely. I right. w- would kind of challenge it yeah. a bit, which was, which was fun.
0: I, I heard that the sort of breakout moment in a way for you there, maybe, you know, I just wonder if you agree, was that during your fourth year you did the show Burn This, which led to an agent, which led to the things that, maybe came after is that was that a big turning point in your own view yeah yeah I think so yeah the, at the your last year
1: they do a play that they try to cater to your strengths or you kind of start there at Juilliard in your first year and they're they're uh, they try to get you away from your habits as much as possible and hopefully by the end of your fourth year you kind of go back to maybe your strengths that you had to begin with, but being able to access new faculties or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was, and then my agent, or my future agent came and saw that, and then it started working from there. She's behind me right now. And, that's, where,
0: that's where it started. Uh, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. And I've been trying to get rid of her, but she keeps on <laughs> following me to all these things. It's uh, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, so now you're you're coming out into the real world, and first jobs that you got, it looks like we're on TV when you were coming out what sort of a career did you envision for yourself was screen acting always going to be a part of it or no i mean that would
1: have been that would have been great
0: i think yeah. my only game plan was to make a living as yeah. an actor like just to, and
1: i you know come from a theater school so if i would have done theater for uh, forever that would that would have been great yeah. what an ideal yeah career you know that great you know if anything else on top of that even just that making a living as an actor is a miracle in and of itself so then when all these like uh, tv and film jobs came you know it's still
0: very like what what a lucky opportunity they are just so people know who were not necessarily in new york and able to to appreciate this you were doing still a lot of stage work in those immediate years Mm -hmm. afterwards including two well first i think Angels in America must have been a huge thing to do off. Yeah, the best play I've ever worked on. And you felt you evolved as an actor doing it? Yeah, I just think that play is so well
1: constructed. I think it's my favorite play of of all time. Tony Kushner's writing is like an amazing, who also wrote Lincoln and Munich and a bunch of other things. He has a great way of articulating these complex ideas, but at the same time, not sacrificing the kind of humanity that are happening in scenes. And one of them is a scene with Lewis and Belize when he's trying to kind of go in this long monologue kind of about racism and democracy. And then it really, it's all about how he feels so guilty for, for leaving prior. And it's those plays when we, we did both parts millennium approaches yes. and perestroika. Okay. So it's, and we did them in rep. So on, on Saturday we do both plays. So it's six hours Jesus. of acting. I think we did them on Saturday and Sunday or Mm -hmm. or Friday and Saturday. And, you know, throughout the week we do alternate. And that was just a really great lesson. Even those plays are six hours because they're so well-constructed and well-written that at the end you still felt like you had, you weren't, like, draining the tank because all you had to do is rely on the words. And the the writing kind of got you to where you needed to go. You didn't have to put anything on top of that. That was a
0: huge lesson to learn. And then it must just be, for any actor, a huge deal to – make it to Broadway, which in back-to-back years, you're doing Mrs. Warren's Professional, Cherry Jones in 2010, then Man and a Boy, Frank Langella, 2011. For you, it must have seemed like things were really going as well as they could have at that point, right? I mean, Yeah, no, it was great. I was having a great time. Frank Langella, I learned a lot from
1: him, yeah. well, almost maybe more than any other actor that I'd worked with on yeah. stage, because he's so ferocious and commands a presence. And ferocious is the the best word Mm -hmm. to kind of
0: describe him i just saw the father this past year is amazing yeah yeah, he's he's incredible so how did you first hear about girls and was this just sort of another audition or did you realize when you were going in that this was going to be a potentially a big thing
1: i did not know what it was going to be like i had done a show called the wonderful maladies for hbo and i liked them i thought they were different than regular tv i thought tv is kind of the the devil at the time and the I initially read it and d- did not want to go in. But then the agent who we were talking about earlier, who really, it really is a problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, it said, no, you should go in on it.
0: Now, why did you not want to go in?
1: Because it was just TV and like I was like doing a play at the time. Right. I think it was Mrs. Warren's profession. And yeah. I'm like, this is where I need to be. Right. You know, fuck television. I don't want to <laughs> get this, you know, cesspool right. vipers. I don't <laughs> and I just didn't. I think it was just I, I had also had a string of other things that yeah I
0: auditioned for that I just hated and. You do go in, though, at the urging of your agent, and I believe you showed up, according to Lena, with a motorcycle helmet and just had a read on this character. I think you were the first person that she said she saw, but you felt there was an immediate connection with the character and with her, or, or did you not?
1: I, I did, actually. Okay. I, I I Typically... I feel or try to be overprepared in auditions where I, I wanted to I hated the power dynamic you know that <laughs> happened in auditions where you uh, go in and you like seem desperate to want something so I always try to take control over it and be like this is my opportunity to right. axe so fuck them you know hated them immediately it's a a, <laughs> a tactic you and know especially for surviving
0: such a young person you're auditioning for it must yeah. have been a little weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I came in and I, I oh oh typically I would have been more prepared, but because I was in this like state of self entitlement, like I didn't I didn't prepare it as much. I'm like I'm just gonna go in and read, yeah. you know. And the motorcycle helmet wasn't a prop. I like just rode my <laughs> bike there and uh, I don't know, maybe uh, sure I didn't care. Right. You know and then then it was really I met Lena and we started playing the scenes that I got really excited by it and, and, and I, I think because I didn't prepare I made choices that were on the page Adam Sackler seems very aggressive, but we were kind of playing against it and having fun with it. Uh, having fun. It's a terrible, terrible word for it. <laughs> fun. It's awful. But, you know, like yeah. Yeah. but because we were started playing around, it was, I think I didn't get in my head too much and it, I got really excited about yeah. it. Then,
0: So you get it, you start playing this. There's the the show really took off. And I know that the reactions to this guy were strong. People, mm-hmm initially I, yeah. initially right and i just wonder you know he's sort of a primal guy i guess it's sort of i wondered if you personally l- liked him and if you what you made of these the, the fact that you were evoking such strong reactions from people <laughs> probably couldn't go down the street without getting some smart-ass comments
1: no yeah for the first couple episodes and i i've never had the uh, the experience where you do something on top we also shot it like a year before it actually came out okay. so i kind of not forgot about it right. i knew it was happening but couldn't really remember what we did and then after the first two weeks going outside and, <laughs> and people being like hey fuck you <laughs> <laughs> for for no reason yeah but then but then that character evolved but i liked it yeah. i liked him immediately when lena and i sat down to, to talk about it before we started shooting at the like what kind of person he was and that he was very much a rhinoceros who can only really see what's going on in front of him and runs full force towards that until he gets exhausted and then yeah. finds something else and he has these kind of weird off-center philosophies on life that he really knows nothing about but is fully
0: committed to them that was always kind of funny Interesting. to me so how did the experience of, of doing that show which in the interim i know that's when you started i guess on breaks doing much higher profile movies as well which we can Touch upon, but how do you think that that changed you? If it did, as an actor, were were you different coming out of now that we're the show's just recently wrapped? Are you a different actor today than you were when you were starting that? I don't know. That's a hard. That's a hard thing to say. Yeah. uh, Yes, I feel
1: like I've had experiences where I feel like I'm trying to be more economical with the way you work on something and also kind of learning to adapt to the vibe of the set I think is is what I didn't know then that I kind of know now not trying to impose your way of working not that I did then but Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really have a set way of I didn't know where the rhythm of a film set so was kind of working in a bubble until we would do the scenes and then I'd be available for my I seen partners yeah. but i found in my experiences not really have trying to have less control and yeah. structuring it around like being aware of what the pace is around me as opposed to having a set way of working and trying to impose it on everyone else right. seemed like something i took away from it but but being on a show for six years in a way it feels like a movie and it also feels like theater yeah. you know where you I always feel at the end of a th- uh, run of a play, always I want to go back to the very beginning and do it again. Like now I have a better sense right. of what it is. But because of Girls, I got to do that with a character where at the end of every season, I'm like, okay, now I have a good jumping off point for Adam. I'm just now starting to get it. And if I could do it again, this is what I would do different. than
0: you can. Yeah. And and so during those breaks from the show, when it was, when it was on hiatus or, or whatever, you had some amazing opportunities come about and I just wonder it seems like just to list them off the first one I guess was Jay Edgar for for Clint Eastwood then Lincoln for Spielberg and Kushner then Inside Lewin Davis for the Coen brothers then twice I think for Noah Baumbach where you got to show a little bit of a funnier side of yourself with with Francis Ha and then while we're young was the criteria here I just want to take these opportunities that I have to be away from girls to work with the best directors I can work with or it happens that it worked out that each one of these is with sort of a a real terrific auteur.
1: Well, I think it's a mixture of both. I wanted to, it's a director's medium and I think of it very much as a service industry acting and I wanted to work with really great directors Mm -hmm. who, Movies I admire growing up, you know, in Indiana, like binge, binge watching things from blockbuster video. Yeah. It's like a cultural outlet, I guess. But so, but I could want that all I want or, you know, but, uh. I was lucky enough to actually get the opportunities to work with these people, so it seemed like a no-brainer yeah. job choices. if someone asks you, do you want to do, you know, audition for a Clint Eastwood movie? Yeah, or you, <laughs> you know, or do you want to work with Jim Jarmusch? But right. Of course, yeah, right.
0: Yeah, and Clint though was the first one for a in terms of a movie who who cast you in a movie? Yeah, yeah. And do do you know how why, or why that came about? Uh, yeah, I just auditioned for it, and you saw the tape, and that was kind of it. That was it? Yeah. It's not a pretty pretty nice way to start your film, yeah. big
1: screen career. Also, I worked with Barry Levinson, too, which I was really... That was also another HBO thing that was oh, yeah. a surreal moment. Because my oh, yeah, scene partners is... were
0: Al Pacino, Susan Sarandon, <laughs> and John Goodman. This was You Don't Know Jack? Or, yeah, You yeah. Don't Know Jack.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. and I played a guy who tried to burn himself, and they wanted to cover one of my eyes. I'm like, no, could you just leave just a crack? I want to see what is going to <laughs> which probably would have been better so they wouldn't have if I covered it nice so they the panic wouldn't have been as obvious.
0: <laughs> so, I believe it was while you were back on the set of Girls that you first heard from JJ Abrams is that case?
1: Yeah, I, the third or fourth season, the last day of shooting the third or fourth
0: season, I got a call you know do you want to meet with jj to talk about star wars and just sure it yeah. was specifically about star wars or was it was it do you you kind of knew what he was after i knew it was star wars i yeah. didn't know what the character was or yeah. anything at that point just do you did you want to fly
1: out to la and meet jj and i'm like yeah that seems interesting it seemed, yeah. yeah
0: and when you found out what it was all about and who he was interested in having you play and all of that did you have any hesitation about saying yes because one thing that some of the other people who have done various incarnations of Star Wars have said is that it's sort of in some ways not always positively defined them going forward. They found that it was harder for people to see them as other things. And I wondered, you know, obviously that doesn't apply at all. Many of them have done, gone on and had terrific varied careers. But was there any concern as somebody who had not done large scale things, movies necessarily before, I guess, you know, or at least not as a central character, anything that gave you pause about saying Yes yeah I had
1: a lot of apprehension and and doing it not not for what you're talking about of like thinking ahead yeah. I don't think I was there yet yeah. as far as what its effect would be or what the end result yeah. would be afterwards. I was more thinking about how you know finding your way in and making it make sense to yourself and you know what is the source material for it I mean obviously the original movies, but you have to kind of make it has to make sense for you. Yeah and and they were kind of outlining it but there was no script to read until the first show you've already kind of agreed to do it and really, and yeah. you're and you're there on set then you kind of read what you've committed to but JJ outlined it and it got me really excited be I'm very wary of Hollywood movies uh, cuz I feel like a lot of them are they sacrifice story for spectacle and it's very much about uh, effects and results as opposed to characters that are that you can actually connect with but the first words out of jj's mouth were about story and character and that would propel the the plot forward not you know an effect and right that was really exciting to me initially and and then uh, but then i wanted to think about it for a couple months and then it was like six more months after that of scheduling to see if it could work because right. i was still shooting girls but yeah i just didn't want to i didn't want to it up. really like <laughs> you know what a you know, awesome opportunity, but you know, what if you get there and have no ideas on the day? And I remember having conversations with JJ being like, you know, I feel kind of overwhelmed by the idea of, of it. And he said something that was very smart, that it was so obvious, which was, you know, we'll break it up into little pieces and solve those little pieces and then worry about this moment, which will lead to that
0: moment. And the end result, you know, hopefully we'll have a movie, but, and so that made sense to me. And it ended up feeling not like a different sort of acting than you done in other things you felt good doing it
1: well yeah because you have to you you have to like solve all the problems for yeah. yourself you can't just because the the vocabulary in star wars is so ingrained into your culture but you still have to make it make sense so why right. does people why do they wear helmets really? you know why why is the motion that he's reaching out to use the force is there some kind of we, i went back to the kurosawa's movies actually which kind of initially inspired george lucas mm-hmm. the hidden fortress in particular was a movie that made a lot of sense you know the when i made it kind of political in my mind then i'm like then it made sense to me yeah. you know we have these two parties who are on opposite sides who believe that they're 100 correct yeah. you know and there's a family dynamic in the midst of it and that makes it more complicated, but the idea of two two people thinking that they're one hundred percent right, you know, made it less easier to get in as opposed to like the obvious dark side and light side. I didn't think about that at
0: all. And I wonder if, as a guy who's been in the military at a time when we're engaged in the war on terrorism, which is essentially, again, like you're saying, like kind of people that are totally true believers of of their position on either side, it seems like it's not entirely unrelated to the real world in some ways, but. Yeah, or um, even
1: our current political climate. Yeah. Whenever a group of people, I think, tell another group or show another group that they are 100% correct, I'm always suspicious. Yeah, right.
0: yeah. So, movie comes out, obviously, a huge phenomenon. How has it impacted your ability to just go about your business? And also, is it a little surreal when a few weeks ago, it's Halloween, I think one of the most popular costumes kids are going <laughs> trick-or-treating in was you as Kylo. Right. Uh, I mean, is it is it just... What do you make of it all? I don't know.
1: I don't know how to process yeah. all all of it. It's it's really fun. It yeah. one like the kid element. The kids element is really fun. I was uh, dropping my wife off in front of our house and, and parking the car around, and I was driving around the our block and i turned the corner and there was a mom like picking up her kids from school and she had three kids and they're all running in different directions like backpacks all over and she was holding uh my lightsaber but she was holding it in a way like she holds lightsabers all the time you know like like it was such a burden like oh god this fucking lightsaber you know and she was slinging it over her shoulders with all like diaper bags and backpacks and that image of her like you know completely you know jeans and a t-shirt with the lightsaber right. going down like like oh this fucking thing i'm like i know it's, <laughs> it's you get yeah, it yeah it's an awkward thing to hold you know it's a weird thing to watch you walking down my neighborhood right with, it, with you know, one and i'll see you at the house later <laughs> yeah. my scary the shit out of your kids right <laughs> <laughs> look at Cole again for halloween
0: <laughs> so uh from that massive scale kind of a project you then i think chronologically then go and do patterson Yes. Yeah. I think Which that's right. can we can I, I know we talked about this the other day, but just for context, maybe if, even if it's not an exact figure, like what's roughly the budget and the shooting schedule for Star Wars versus Patterson? I I did ask, because I don't know. Yeah. I need to know how movies are
1: made or how much <laughs> money goes into making movies. But I, I asked this afterwards. I gave you that terrible yeah. <laughs> answer, and they think it was around five million. Five million, yeah, maybe. Where I don't know. Again, I don't know what the budget of Star Wars is. I'm not yeah. thinking about the right. budget, but it was more than that. Yes, <laughs> a few
0: multiples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now you're you're doing. Uh, well, you get offered Patterson, and the reason that you immediately were drawn to it was because as this guy who was sort of a cinephile growing up you were familiar with and a fan of Jarmouche?
1: yeah totally 100% his
0: movies are, are I think are brilliant and he's brilliant I didn't know him at the time yeah. but solely because he was involved that I wanted to be in it and as you're reading the script and looking at this 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 character who doesn't say much right he's as as you noted largely a, a listener which is not something many movies are Built around, and then also a story which is sort of the opposite of every cliche. We see a gun, but it's not going to kill somebody. We see, you know, whatever. I think that what well, was that Godard? It's like if you show a gun, somebody's going to get right. shot. So, or whatever. Yeah, right. so it's like throwing all this on its head. That's what you were drawn to, but also is that something where you're like, how do I, how do I communicate as a guy who has very little verbally to say? I don't know. I'm always uh, I love scenes where I don't have a lot to say, where I get to listen to people.
1: I've been really lucky to work with really great people, though. That so that's made it easier. And I knew Jim just attracts people that are great and that he's interested in are and are inherently interesting. Yeah. And uh, so I knew that that I didn't really think of that. I was more excited that playing a character where you get have to trust that the power of thought is interesting enough that that's cinematic enough that people would would be interested in watching someone process something or take in details and that that was a kind of you know you just have to i don't think you get that opportunity a lot to play with that idea
0: and it seemed uh, unique now aside from what was on the page what if anything were you able to do to prepare to play this guy
1: Well, I tried to, you know, up my game as far as knowing the poetry world. Mm -hmm. I had a very elementary knowledge of poetry, like E.E. Cummings, Mm -hmm. and I I knew, you know, Allen Ginsberg's Howl, but I didn't know anything apart from that. Or or I didn't know Frank O'Hara's Lunch Poems or anything by William Carlos Williams apart from this is just to say. Yeah. So studying that and learning about poetry through Jim in particular, who was studied under Kenneth Koch at Columbia, was really exciting And and reading Ron Padgett's poems. And then just a, a physical... The physical life seemed to be very key because he has a very well-worn groove as far as his routine every day. takes the same path to work, you know, takes the same bus route. The clothes that he wears, apart from his uniform, are pretty similar. So he pretty much wears the same thing every day. And I knew that being there on the day, I didn't want to be thinking about it. We're trying to tell a story of someone who's been doing this routine for years. And we only had to shoot it in a couple months, so learning how to drive a bus and getting my cdl license i thought would be important to maybe open us up so we can get better shots yeah even i think we only you know, wanted up were able to do two shots you know that uh, where i could uh, drive the bus but to me that that was worth it, was it so valuable and also on the day i didn't want to be thinking about like what lever does what what right. where does the key go you know <laughs> <laughs> like how wide is my bus right is, what's the air pressure right. In the tires, like I wanted to be available, yeah. you know, for yeah.
0: my scene partners and the crew, right. like you want to not be thinking about it. Sure. Now, one thing I wondered watching this movie is, is there a reason that Jim wanted to tell this story? Is there something about what happens to, spoiler alert, Patterson's work at the end? Is there something that 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 we should all take away from that is that a metaphor
1: you mean is there something specifically that he wanted people to take away from that moment well
0: I, I would say overall, overall but also the thing that really I wondered is when we see that somebody's what they've poured their heart and soul into the, the material mm-hmm. evidence of that is now gone but he he figures out you know I think that last scene is so beautiful right. I guess I just wonder is there more to that than meets the eye in your view I think so I, I don't know that he
1: had a set point in, in all of it i'm sure it was multi-purpose of yeah a, a lot of what we were talking about mm-hmm. subverting people's expectations he's really interested in the fact that he was in the military or the fact that he was a bus driver or the fact that he's a poet but he's not defined by any one of those things is also i think a, a point that he was trying to make that scene in particular i think maybe he was trying to say or what i get out of it is that i think there's a line in one of the poems where he says you know words wor- words are written on water and then I I love that idea. And there's the, you know, the Passaic Falls and Mm -hmm. in Patterson. So uh, the idea that things happen, you know, or we create things, even making a movie. Everyone's decided to leave their families, you know, for this certain amount of time. Someone's giving us a lot of money, all for us to be here at this time and tell this one story, you know, this scene this time. And then we're going to break for lunch. It's all, you know, So I think maybe the idea is that we can't hold on to anything and that's kind of Patterson's philosophy that things happen and then he has a mourning period for the loss, but then eventually you get the sense that he'll move on after the movie is over he'll he'll keep writing and i think that's very true to life or any environment where you're trying to create something we we're, we're all we've all decided to be here for this moment and we try to capture the moment and create something but we can't hold on to it and we can't go back to it we can't go back to it and recreate it it's just it existed and now now it's gone you know and i i think that idea is is maybe what he was trying yeah. to get across
0: so just winding down here i want to ask you is this character in patterson well, which of the characters that you've played maybe maybe it is this one patterson do you feel is most similar to adam driver the person is it somebody that is this the guy that you feel most connected to or most similar to yourself i don't i don't know i
1: i think after you know there's elements of you know hopefully yourself and all the things that you get to do even something like star wars like yeah. that character makes sense to me and the Family dynamic and desperately wanting family to be a part of his life, but not getting it, and you know the anxiety and a lot of anger that that creates that lasts a lifetime. You know, when we finished that, I'm like, oh, that that felt like we made it personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but Patterson and I relate to the structure that he has in his life, especially as a nomadic actor, where you crave kind of a structure and where you. Your life is maybe controlled. So in work, you can be less controlled. That makes sense to me. And just listening to people around you and not Patterson, similar to Jim actually meets things without judgment Mm -hmm. and meets, meets things that are new. He's open to the world around him and his first impulse is curiosity, not, not to label it at anything. Yeah. Which I think is a beautiful thought. I, I, don't, I don't know that they're, you know, silence in the one, the Scorsese thing that we just did. The, he's a character that's full of doubt. And I relate to that a lot, too. Where
0: We should say this is, uh, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you and Andrew Garfield, oh, yeah. Jesuit priests. Yes. 17th century. 17th century. <laughs> going Jesuit to priest. find a, a, another Jesuit priest who's sort of gone off the grid a little bit. Yes, that's that's 100%. And right. with Scorsese. Big and team. with
1: Scorsese, yeah, right. Uh, but his that character is very much doubt he's very see saint peter in my mind yeah. where yeah. he's completely committed to and religion is like a, the boundaries i guess for yeah. the movie but you can really insert any kind of Anything, y- yeah. yeah even a- acting or marriage or where you've committed yourself to this thing you're you're com- you're you're in it you've designed your life around it you know i'm going to be an actor i'm gonna uh, this is what i'm going to do and then it's not. It's not as simple as that's it. I've made right. the decision. Now I just have to act it out. That's full of misery and doubt and second guessing <laughs> and joy. Right. You know, maybe that kind of struggle is uh, I really relate to. So this is a long winded way no, of saying great.
0: there's not one thing I guess that right. I point to that that's like that's who I am. And very last thing I've got to ask you is you know now for people who have either discovered you through. The perhaps a, a bigger thing like Star Wars or a smaller thing like Patterson or whatever it may be they're, they're probably anxious to know what's next we've just established that one thing is Scorsese's Silence which is coming out soon mm-hmm. and I believe you just a massive demand for you to uh, I think you lost did you lose 50 pounds for that movie? Yeah, 51 pounds. That's insane. That, that
1: last pound, I'm very. Proud yeah, we're gonna give you <laughs> full credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So there's, there's that. Obviously, I, I believe the Star Wars experience goes on. Right? Uh-huh. Is that when does that next one come out with you? I don't know. Oh, oh, I do know. De- I'm just sorry. Should, so it's no, like a no, reflex to no, say no. I don't know to any. Story. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> yeah. What is this movie? Right. December of next year. Of Next year. Yeah. And so you know, apart from those two things, is there anything sort of that you're very anxious to do or accomplish, or you know, that's still on the bucket list for you? I mean, there's lots of directors that I love
1: to work. I just did this thing with Steven Soderbergh that I'm really oh, cool. it was really a blast because he's so a blast it was really it was just really great because he's so so economical with how he shoots things and and takes out all of the noise on set it working with him almost feels like a protest to kind of a traditional way of making movies and it's really fun the pace of it's so fast and it's very impulsive and the actors that he that I got to work with on that Channing Tatum Daniel Craig you know Seth MacFarlane all these like great people riley Keough. it was it was really i had a, a good time on it but th- apart from that i have no plan other than continue to hopefully work with really great directors if i'm if i'm lucky and i and i can do that and it doesn't matter what medium or or the budget or anything you know hopefully we'll pull don quixote together yeah.
0: but yeah no 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 plan all right well it's a it's a treat to watch you and thank you so much for doing this I thanks really for having me yeah yeah thanks nice thanks. To